I would love to see 20 or 30 teenagers go to this camp this year, amen. It was an honor and a privilege to be able to preach it last year, and I wish I could go again. It was such a blessing to be able to see all those teenagers at night just on their faces and worshiping God and staying at the altars and crying and changing their lives, and it's good to see uh, all those teenagers still doing good, amen. So there's, I, you can probably hear it, but there's something hitting me back over here. Uh, Revelations chapter 4, plus on the price, guys, if you don't know it, we know we have people in here that have sent their kids to camps before. $325 is nothing. Camps will cost seven or $800 easy in Texas. So to go all the way to Colorado Springs and be able to have a camp there, it's very cheap. That's a whole week of food and everything, T-shirts and all the activities. It's very, very cheap. And you know what? If it cost a million dollars, it'd be worth it. But it's a good price. Our home church does not make money off this camp. That's, what, that's one of the things I love about our church. We're not about trying to make money off it. They, they, they just do it so kids can get there. And they're paying the cost of what the camp costs. And it's a very, very nice campgrounds. Very, very nice. So please plan for that and get your kids there. You will not regret whatever sacrifice it takes to get your kids there. You won't regret it. Amen? Revelations chapter 4. You know, we were singing that song this morning. Uh, uh, worthy or, or how great is our God sorry and it's it's just a little piece of heaven when we're worshiping God at church together amen it's just we can get a feeling of what it's going to be like in heaven with hands raised eyes closed lifting our voices to the Lord and just feeling the presence of God and how many are just ready to spend eternity doing that amen how many are excited about doing that all the rest of your lives amen how many got messed up this morning on the time? Anybody else get messed up besides me? My phone did not reset automatically. And some people joked with me that it's because I didn't have an iPhone, but my wife has an iPhone. and It did? Oh, God bless you. God bless you. Well, how many droid people's phones changed? See? It's not an iPhone droid thing. It's just a me thing. I needed the extra hour of sleep, I guess. Amen? Paul texted me, and he was already here, and, and I thought I was ahead of the schedule. That usually doesn't happen, but it did today. But, you know, today is uh, the start of spring break for next week for all the kids, and it's good to see all of you here. I, I, wouldn't, I didn't know what to expect. I guess, I guess we're all the people that can't afford to go out of town, amen? <laughs> so we got a lot of people traveling and, and visiting but or out doing things, but praise God you're here, amen? And we'll be back here again tonight, and we'll be back here Wednesday, and we'll be back here next Sunday and having church. And if you're going, be safe, amen? If you're going anywhere, be safe. But if you're in town, come to church. Amen. Revelations 4. Let's, I'm going to read quite a few scriptures here this morning. If you're there in verse 1, just say amen. amen. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, Come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Now I'm just going to throw this in. This has nothing to do with my message. But so you know, this verse right here is the sign and the beginning of the tribulation and the church rapture, church going to heaven, okay? Just throwing that in there. That is what we believe is the scripture that shows that uh, when he says the trumpet sounds and he says come up here, we believe that that is when the church is going to be raptured and we are going to be in heaven and the tribulation is going to start and you do not want to be here. Can you say amen? Amen. And we're just coming off of a week where North Korea said they're going to nuke us. 
They didn't joke around. They didn't, they didn't say, ha ha. They just said, we're just going to nuke you. We're in crazy times. Amen. But we don't have to be afraid this morning because we got a God who's bigger than all of those things. Amen. And you're in the right place. Be thankful you're in church this morning and you're saved. But in this verse, verse 1, he says, come up here and I'll show you these things which must take place after this. And he says, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, the throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he, he who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And, he, and, the, sorry, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. On the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. We can get that understanding from last night. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third like a creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night. Look at this, saying, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Amen. Amen. Say holy this morning. How many know that God is holy? In the Hebrew language, whenever you see something repeated more than once, it's an emphasis. If, If the Bible in the Hebrew language is talking about a big rock, it would say rock, rock. And you would know that it was a big rock. If the Bible said rock, rock, rock three times, you know it was a gigantic rock. Okay? So whenever there's an emphasis on a Hebrew word where it's said more than once, it means greatness. Okay? And very big. So we know this morning that we don't serve just a holy God. We serve a holy, holy, holy God this morning. Amen? Who's great and awesome and mighty. Now I want to talk a little bit this morning about the holiness of God. How many have ever heard a message on holiness? Anybody in here ever heard? And I, you know, a lot of times when you talk about holiness, the, the, the emphasis a lot of times is on uh, where we at, where we're at, and what we do to be holy. And I want to talk about that this morning. But you can't get an understanding about holiness until you understand the holiness of God. Amen? You cannot, as the scriptures say, be holy as I am holy if you don't know what God's holiness is. And this morning, I want to just get you to get an understanding about how amazing and awesome and powerful and mighty our God is this morning. Amen. And when we understand how awesome he is and how mighty and wonderful he is, it gives us a desire to want to be like him. It gives us a desire to want to serve him. It gives us a desire to stay away from things that aren't godly. Amen. How many want to live that kind of life this morning? A life of holiness unto God. Amen. So we're going to get into it a little bit. I want to read a few other scriptures. We're going to go to Isaiah, if you'd go there with me, in the Old Testament now. And I want to just talk a little bit again about the holiness of God. As you're getting there, hold that scripture there. And I'm going to read Matthew 5. If you're taking notes, I'm going to read Matthew 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. But you don't have to look at that. Go to Isaiah. 
And just write that down if you're taking notes. Jesus' words said this. You've heard it. This is Matthew 5, 43. That it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray to those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. How many sons and daughters are here this morning? For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. This is a verse you need to really get this morning. He makes the sun to rise on the good and the evil. And it says, he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Do you understand this morning that if you begin to try to figure everything out that happens in life, you will go to hell over a mystery. Have you realized that this morning? You can lose your walk with God and lose your faith if you begin to say, as you look at a situation, that doesn't make sense. I I mentioned, uh, and I was talking to my dad about this this week, I mentioned last week that one of my favorite singers of all time that I've always looked up to my whole life uh, is very sick right now. I've been saved for 20 years. I've been to his concerts. His name is Carmen. And he's been given the news that he has less than three months to live. He's very sick. He has cancer, myeloma. It's all through his body. They just found out this week he's had it for four years. Wow. And he is, he is literally sort of a miracle on his deathbed. And he is having a great attitude. He said, I'm going to keep winning souls until God takes me home. He's obviously believing for healing, so be lifting him up. But if you look at somebody's life like that, who has for 20, for 20 years I've been saved and probably more like 25 or 30 years been preaching the gospel. A man who at, at concerts, he one time packed out Texas Stadium as a Christian. You know, we just had a concert Friday, the mix went. And I know that God really moved at that concert. And uh, I know that Kristen's friends really loved it, amen. And uh, they, they, they really got touched at it. And you can imagine how powerful it is when God brings those people together and, and he moves. But Carmen would do a concert like no other, like you've never seen before, with just an amazing, uh, uh, powerful message. And in his concerts, always in the middle, he would have an altar call. He would not just say, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. He said, raise your hand if you're not saved. And he'd make them, he did an altar call just like we do here. He said, stand up now. And they'd stand up. And he'd ask them to leave their seats all over Texas Stadium and walk down to the altar. And they would do a salvation prayer. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people would come forward and give their lives to Jesus. Amen. And then he'd send them back to church pastors all over the area. And they would get cards and they would try to plug them into a church. He's been doing that for 20 or 30 years. He's never charged for a concert. He would take up an offering, a love offering. He would do concerts that cost a million dollars. One concert. And he would do it free. So when you look at somebody like that, he's never been married. He's saved himself. He's, been, he's lived a holy life. Uh, he's a handsome dude, too. I don't understand why he never got married. But hey, there's people like that. Amen. But he's lived this great life. And if, you, if I were to stop today and say, God, I don't understand that, I could go to hell over a mystery. I could say, God, how could you let such a great man of God who's done nothing but serve you be in his 50s now and have three months left to live? How many understand what I'm saying? If you try to figure God out, you're going to lose your mind. You just need to trust God. And you need to trust him at his word. And he's, Jesus sometimes, how many know sometimes when somebody's talking, if you don't pay attention, you can miss something important. 
He's sitting here talking about love your neighbors and, 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 and uh, bless those who curse you. And then all of a sudden he throws in this, this verse that should catch our attention. He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. Some people say, why do bad things happen to good people? And then you can ask, why do good things happen to bad people? Those are things you don't understand, but Jesus makes it very clear right here in his holiness that he says the sun rises on the evil and the good and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. I asked my pastor one time, I, we were driving around in Costa Rica and I, and, and, I, and I just said, pastor, why, you know, how do you explain to somebody? How do you tell somebody that answer when somebody asks, why, how does this make sense? And he just gave me the most simple answer, and I'm a simple person. He said, because we don't live in a divine bubble. That was good enough for me. That made sense. We live in a real world that's full of sin and full of problems, and the same rain that falls on the just falls on the unjust. We live in a world of cancer. We live in a world of sickness. We live in a world of violence. We live in a world of hate. All we can do is what God has asked us to do, which is be salt and light in this earth we live in. Amen? How many want to be salt and light this morning? How many want to represent the holiness of God? When we begin to read a verse like this, and I hope you're now in uh, the book of... Oh, I forgot to read that. finish that scripture. Got caught up on that one. So he says... The rain falls on the just and the unjust. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? How many know it's easy to love people that are nice to you? Right? I love how Jesus breaks it down. If we based our good works and our, and our, and our goodness off of being nice to people that were nice to us, it'd be easy. But I believe God looks down on us and says, how do they act when they're not being treated nice? Amen? What do they do when someone's mean to them? And God is looking as a father tonight, this morning, on us as children. And his, his whole desire is to be proud of us. He wants to look down and say, that's my son. That's my daughter. How many remember in the scriptures when the Bible said that Jesus got baptized in water. And when he came out of the water, the skies opened. And God said these words, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Amen. How many would love God to open up the skies this morning and look down on you and say, these are my children in whom I'm well pleased. I want to please God. When I begin to think of the holiness of God, you can look at it as a way of, of, of fear or you can look at it as a way of God is so good. I want to live for God. Amen. I want to do something for his kingdom. So he says, what good does that do? What reward would you get? He says, do not even the tax collectors do so. Then he finishes with this verse, and this is where it gets kind of hard on us to really gather and pick it up. He says, therefore, after all the things I just read in verse 48 of Matthew 5, he says, therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Some of us just went, well, that leaves me out. I don't know if I can do that. How many know this morning God would never ask us to do something we couldn't do? There is a, a standard that God can ask us to have, and as we seek it, God is pleased. Amen? He's saying, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. He could have said, um, you know, be, 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 be pretty good. And what would, we, what would we do as people? We'd be pretty good. Right? Because as people, we're good at just trying to just barely do what we're supposed to do. Come on, is anybody else like that? 
Right? Aren't we like that as human beings? Have you ever wondered, why would God say be perfect? Because he knows we can't be perfect. But if he asks us to be perfect, we're striving to reach up for something that is higher than we can reach. And as my pastor says, if you reach for the stars, you won't come up with a fistful of mud. Amen. If you're reaching for the greatness of God, then you're going to be walking in a great state of, of holiness. Amen. So he says, be perfect as I'm perfect. Now, go to Isaiah chapter 6. And I'm going to break this down a little bit this morning. And I want you to know as we go forth that God does expect us to walk in holiness. Amen. Now, as we go forth and you're getting to Isaiah 6, I want to make, break some stereotypes. There's a lot of people for many years that have been taught that, that holiness is something that's visible on your appearance. Okay? And a lot of churches are called legalists, and they will teach that according to what you wear or how you dress is what makes you holy. Now, there is some truth to that. We should dress modestly. Amen. We should dress good. We, should, we shouldn't, uh, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but we, women shouldn't draw attention to themselves and, and make it to where, you know, guys got to turn their heads when we're walking in church and those kind of things. God talks about in Peter to be modest, but it's not about, as they would teach, no makeup on a woman, long skirts, and for some reason it was always picking on the women more than anything, right? The poor women always got stuck looking like they, I don't know, like they didn't want to look. Amen. <laughs> And so it's not that, but lots of churches would teach that, and it raises a spirit of judgmental attitude. And I know people today, today, that were raised in that, and they're just chasing hell's gates. You know why? Because they tried to be good on the outside and didn't really change on the inside. They were taught to look too much on the exterior and not look inside at their heart. I'm telling you, my family knows these people today. I'm talking about prison time, pre pregnancy before marriage, babies out of wedlock, drugs, alcohol, all kinds of stuff of pastor's kids that were raised in that kind of a home that were tried to be taught that if your, ho your holiness comes from your outward appearance. I, you might have heard this before, you know, that whole thing about makeup. Again, I'm using my pastor quite a bit this morning. He says it's a sin for some women not to wear makeup. <laughs> Amen. I like to use my pastor's quotes, and it gets, gets off me. <laughs> How many get what I'm saying, though? It's not walking around trying to you know, measure the, the, the length of the skirt and the outward appearance. That stuff comes when the inside's right. Amen? The exterior is a product of the interior this morning. And God is so awesome and so worthy, so wonderful, that as we fall in love with Him, we want to please Him. Amen. So let's look at Isaiah 6 real quick. In verse 1, say amen if you're there. Let me get this thing turned off real quick so we can save the bulb. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is such a powerful part of scripture. Sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. Those were angels. He, and two he covered, with, sorry, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One cried to another, here we go again, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door, this is Isaiah's vision of heaven, were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. 
And then Isaiah says these words as he's in the presence of God. Woe is me, for I am undone. Now just stop right there for one second. What I want us to see this morning is the holiness of God. If you're walking in the presence of the Lord. The last few services I've been preaching about the presence of God. And I've been preaching about, I had a, one of those revelations last week that a lot of times as a pastor looking out at the congregation, looking out at the church and watching the church and watching people, you can get caught up in, in wanting to see the chairs filled and wanting to see people make good choices and all those things are good. But God reminded me what he wants me to do is just continually walk in his presence. Amen. Amen. And, and you know, numbers are great, but that's not really that important because I told the church last week you can have churches that have thousands of people there. And if the presence of God doesn't show up, what good is it? I really believe that in the last few, and we've, we've, I believe we always have, but especially in the last few weeks, we've been having such a presence of God in our services because of that same reason that we're just saying, God, we, we, I don't, you know, I, I'd love to see a lot of people at church when I get there today. It's great to see chairs filled, but I'm going to have church whether there's five or there's 500. I'm going to have church this morning. I'm going to praise your name. I'm going to worship you and lift you up and I'm going to give you the glory that you deserve because you are God. And when you begin to get in that understanding and you begin to love the presence of the Lord, something happens. He got into the presence of God. I want you to catch this. He got into the presence of God and he didn't go, wow. He didn't go, cool. What happened? He came undone. As he got into the presence of the living God, he, f- he fell to his knees spiritually. And he realized, get this, he realized how unworthy he was. Can you catch that this morning? That's what brings holiness to our life, is when we get into the presence of God and we realize, I am so unworthy to be in the presence of God. And you begin, you know, a lot of times as you're worshiping, you can be saying to yourself, God, you know, sometimes I've had tears come to my eyes and I've had this overwhelming feeling come upon me that says, God, how did I get to this place? And, and the grace and the mercy of God comes over me and I say, God, thank you so much that I'm not dead this morning. Thank you so much that I'm not in jail this morning. Thank you so much that I'm not in a hospital bed this morning. Thank you so much that I'm not lost this morning. Amen. I'm in the presence of God and I don't deserve to be here. I'm so unworthy. And that's what the presence of God does. It shows you your true state of your heart. And it's not a condemnation state. It's just an understanding of how great God is. See, a lot of times people try to preach holiness into people. They try to put fear into people. They try to scare people. That's another message. Hell needs to be preached. People need to know it exists. People need to know that that's where people go that reject the Lord. But this morning at the same time, if we would understand how great God is and how good God has been to us, we'll want to be holy. We'll want to be righteous. We won't do it because we have to. I told my wife we went through that a little bit when we first got saved and we were youth leaders. And I told my wife at that time the thing the Lord was showing me and that was a hard time for us because we got kind of tricked. We didn't know that was going to happen. There was a pastoral change. And the new pastors that came in were these people that were focused on the outside. And I'm not downing them. I'm just telling you who it is, that no one knows who they are, and it, so it don't matter. 
But the example is, is that they began, to, they began to change and began to preach messages. And it was all exterior, all exterior. And it got to where it was very condemning to us. And I got to the understanding and the realization, and I remember telling Carl this, that if, if God tell, if, sorry, if a man tells me to do something, and it can even be in the Word, it's good that man would tell me and I would hear it. But if it's, if it's a rule or something that he's trying to teach me and I listen to it and I want to obey it, I'll do it because I'm obedient. But it will probably only last for a little while. But if God tells me to do it, if the Holy Spirit convicts me on it, I'll do it for the rest of my life. Amen? That's what God's trying to do. He's trying to get us to see the state that we're in without him. He says, I'm undone. I did, that just hit me like a ton of bricks that he, he wasn't, I'm sure he was amazed, but his response was not wow and cool. He didn't start dancing in the presence of the Lord. He came undone. And look, now read on with me. Woe is me. So what is he saying? Almost like I, I shouldn't be here. You know, there was, there was a... There was a fear upon him. I, I, I know that today, it'll be different when we go to heaven in the rapture and, and, and it's all complete and everything. But if we were to stand truly, have you ever wondered sometimes why sometimes God doesn't pour his presence out more on us? Why? Because we die. We die. If God actually, physically, we know his spirit, but walked into this room in his fullness this morning, we die. We couldn't stand to be in his presence like that on this earth. And so he walks into his presence in heaven and falls to his knees and becomes undone and says, basically, what am I doing here? I cannot be in this place. I'm a sinner. I cannot be in the presence of God. Read on with me. Because I am a man of unclean lips. When you're in the presence of God, you will find your sin yourself. Sin will, will tell you what's wrong with you. Yourself will begin to say, this isn't right. Amen. Preaching's good, but the Holy Spirit does even a better job of telling us where we're wrong and what's wrong if we listen to him. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having, look at this, in his hand a live coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it. And behold, this has touched your lips. Look at this, church. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And now Israel says, sorry, Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. So he comes into the presence of God and realizes how lost he is. God's mercy comes upon him and shows him that he's saved. And now he can stand up and say, God, I don't have it all together, but now I know that I'm clean by your blood. And now I'm going to go forward walking in your holiness. I was trying to think of how I could get us to really understand Holiness, and I'll get into that in a second, but I want to show you a few more verses. If you're taking notes, I'm going to go through these quickly. Of experiences where people ran into the presence of God and what their reaction was. 
In Matthew 14, 25, and 26, Jesus is on the fourth watch of the night when they're praying, and he's walking on the lake. And the, remember when the disciples saw him walking on water? And they said these words. The Bible says that fear came upon them and they were terrified. They said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Matthew 17, at the Mount of Transfiguration, while Jesus was speaking, the Bible says a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, and we see these verses again, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. But listen what happened. The disciples disciples heard this, and they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, and He said, Get up. Don't be afraid. How many are seeing that every time a human being comes into the first contact with the holiness of God, it's not a wow, it's a woe is me. There has to be a spirit. If you're going to walk in the holiness of God, there has to be first an encounter with the spirit of humility. You, 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 you must understand how great God is, and how unworthy we are to stand in His presence. Now, as you grow and as you go forth, you can get to a place where the Bible says you can learn how to come into His throne room boldly. Okay? But the first encounter is understanding. I think that a lot of times new converts miss this. They don't get the part of the woe is me, and they continue to walk and then they begin to try to walk into the boldness with boldness to the throne of God without dealing with a lot of the things that they had in their life. Things that need to be cleansed, things that need to be washed, things that need to be let go. Amen. So I want to read one more one more example. How about when when the centurion, remember when Jesus died on the cross and the earthquake happened? The earthquake happened, the, the earth shook, it began to rain, storms came, people began to run. And the, remember that a centurion soldier got saved? He said, this is the Son of God. He called on his name and was saved. But how many know that his reaction was fear? Amen. He saw the presence of God upon Jesus, and that's what drew him to realize this is. He realized we have just killed God. Amen? Amen. Get this. If we're going to walk in God's holiness, we have to understand that we're the ones that put him on the cross. Our sin. Our sin put him on the cross. Oh, that was Adam and Eve. Our sin put him on the cross. Don't point, like Paul said at the offering, don't point the finger at anybody else. Amen? I put Jesus on the cross. Amen? And, and, And now, going forward, church, I don't want to put him back there again. I don't want to keep putting Jesus back on the cross over and over again. I'm so thankful and so in love with God that I don't want him to have to go back up on that cross again for me. I don't want to put him up there every week. Amen. I don't want to go through the week and do things that knowing he'll forgive me. And then on Sunday come in and say, God, forgive me. And and he has to, you know, I put him back on the cross again. We know he doesn't literally go back on the cross again. Amen. I'm trying to get you to understand what I'm saying. That centurion realized I killed this man. He is the Son of God. When the shepherds saw the angels at the birth of Christ, the Bible says they were sore afraid. 
Anytime someone gets a glimpse of the Almighty God, they have this reaction. Why? Exodus 33, 20 says, no one could see God and live. No one could see God and live. Now, I want to break this down to you tonight, this morning so you can get a good understanding of holiness. Listen to this that, that's, that, as you're taking notes. The Hebrew word, and I'm going to give you an example in a second, for holiness is kadesh, which means something which is cut off. Separate or set apart. What is holiness this morning? When we get saved, we become cut off. From what? From our sin nature. From what? From the world. From what? From our old man. Amen? The problem today, church, why a lot of people aren't walking in victory is because they haven't understood that now I'm light and I'm salt of the earth and I cannot do the things I used to do. I cannot hang out with the people I used to hang out with. I cannot go to the places I used to go because if God's holiness is in my life, I am cut off from that thing. Amen. When people get in trouble, it's because they're afraid to cut. You know what? If you're here this morning and you want to make it for God, you're going to have to cut some relationships. You're going to have to sever some friendships. It's not that you can't talk to them. It's not that you can't love them. It's not that you can't speak to them. But your relationship is not the same as it was before. If they don't come over and join you, you cannot go over and join them. There is no light and darkness together. Amen? I'm not talking about not being cordial. I'm not talking about being in a way where you, oh, nah, nah, nah. no, I'm saying I cannot. And you, can, you need to learn to be real with these people. Listen, I've changed my life. I'm not the same person. And the things, I'm not trying to say this bad, but the things that you do, I don't do anymore. And I don't want to do them anymore. And so I can't hang out with you anymore. That's cutting off. Lots of Christians don't make it because they won't cut off. Well, I got to be like to them. Yeah, but they need to follow you. I've taught my girls their whole life, and I pray for this every day for them when I pray for them that somebody is influencing somebody in a relationship. Always. One person is influencing the other. There's no way around it. And so if you're walking with somebody who is not walking in the holiness of God, you are either rubbing off on them the holiness of God, or they are rubbing off their dirt on your holiness. And you've got to cut off. Amen? And he says, be salt. And if the salt's lost its savor or flavor, then what good is it? Amen? God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, i got to win them to the Lord. Yes, you can and you will, but they need to see that you've changed. And it's not words. It's action. So he says it's cut off, separate, set apart. How many know now that we're believers, we're set apart? And God expects us to walk worthy of who he is. Kadesh describes something, listen, that is elevated out of the sphere of what is ordinary. Did you know the Bible says now that we are a peculiar people? We're a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, amen? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we're not the same person. We don't understand. the problem sometimes, believers, is we don't really believe the scriptures. When Jesus said, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new, we need to believe that. And not only believe it, but walk in it. 
I am not the same person I used to be. Amen. I am now set apart. I am sanctified. I am cut off from this world. And, and if you're still holding on to the world, you're not going to make it for God. You cannot, God said, Jesus said very clearly, you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to love one and get away from the other, or you're going to cling to this one. Amen? You cannot be in love with the world and in love with God. Come on. You've got to say, you know what? This ain't worth it. And that's when we begin to realize that I am just passing through. Come on. Tell you, lots of Christians don't make it because they, they want to, the world and God. Holiness says, I want God. This world has nothing for me. I don't need any, the things I used to do. I realize how dumb they were. Is there anybody in here who realizes how dumb we used to act? And that those things we used to do do not bring the pleasure we think they used to bring. Because we're lost. And the world needs to know that. Separation, set apart, reserved. I like that. We're reserved for God. You know, a godly woman now in Christ, whether they've messed up in the past or they're a virgin in the Lord today waiting to be married, has now understood, I'm a believer and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reserve myself for one day be married to a man or a woman, depending on their, their, what they are, and I'm going to wait. And they're reserving themselves for that person. We today are the church and we are reserving ourselves as virgins for the, for the groom, Jesus Christ, to come for his church. Amen. How many want to be virgins when Jesus Christ comes back? Now that went over y'all's heads. Somebody explain that to your friend later, okay? I'm going to give you a quick illustration. Because I said, God, help me get him to get it. There's actually a really interesting illustration of holiness in the, in the forest, okay, in nature. In, in Europe and Asia, there's a little animal, you might have seen it on Discovery Channel, very cute, called the ermine. It's known for its snow-white fur. You might have seen pictures of it. Super white. It's like a fluff. And it's just an amazing, amazing white. And this animal instinctively, okay, this, I want you to get this. I want, how many know that the Bible says that by creation alone, man is without excuse, that God is real? A lot of times we look at nature and we look at the animal kingdom to see a lot of truths. Amen. We are not animals, but we act like animals a lot. Not, not us, the world. Okay, I'm just talking general. And the world could actually learn a lot from the animal kingdom. I'm not going to go too far on that, but... Animals don't, males and females don't have sex with each other. Yeah, that's what I said. That's what you heard. <laughs> males don't have sex with males and females don't, they can't do it. Amen. The animal kingdom shows us that. Okay. In the kingdom of, of nature, we can see lots of things. And in this animal, he says, he instinctively protects his white coat against anything that would soil it. I mean, consciously, day after day, everywhere he goes, he watches, he or she, whatever it is, he watches to make sure that nothing gets his white coat soiled. Nothing. And so when people are trying to catch him, unfortunately, we've got all these people trying to catch these poor animals, especially these cute little furry ones. Maybe they can bring them home. They want the fur. 
So the fur hunters, listen to how they catch the ermine. And I want you to see the parallel of how the devil tries to catch us. They cannot, they cannot snatch him in a trap because the animal is too smart. And he won't go near anything that will make him dirty. So what they do is they find the home of the ermine. And when they find it, it says it's usually in a cleft or in a rock or in a hollow in an old tree. What they'll do is they smear the entrance with all kinds of dirt and grime. So when the ermine comes back at night to go to sleep, the frightened animal leaves or goes away from, he goes to the house, but he will not go in the hole because of the dirt. So the animal, they send the animals in, and the, animal, the dogs will catch and capture this animal because he's trying to preserve his purity. So he will not go home. And so instead of going in and being safe, he gets caught on the outside. And the devil today is trying in every way he can to get us dirty. He's trying to catch us in a trap. And the, 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 this story actually says that the ermine really believes that purity is more precious than his own life. He would rather die than go into that dirt hole and get dirty. How many Christians should have that attitude about sin? Amen? I'm not going to dirty myself. I'm not going to, if I have to die, that's why Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. Amen? To live is Christ, to die is gain. R.C. Sprogue said the first prayer he ever learned as a child, and many of you know this, was God is good, God is great. Let us thank us for this plate. Amen? There's something about understanding the goodness and the greatness of God. And when you understand the goodness and greatness of God, then you want to live for Him. I want you to write this down as I close this morning. There's two ideas to holiness. The first one is that greatness. You can't have the cart before the horse. Many of us, the second one is purity. How many want to be pure this morning? You cannot be pure unless you understand the greatness of God. You cannot have the cart before the horse. You must have a relationship with God that is so strong. You must be in love with the Lord. You must understand His greatness and His goodness. And then that understanding of His greatness and His goodness and the awe will compel you to live a life of purity. You can't do it the other way around. Try to be pure and then understand God's greatness. You must have a revelation first of the greatness of God. You must understand the revelation of the goodness of God. Amen? And a lot of people, and I'll just throw this in, a lot of people mess up as well because they say, God is love, God is love, God is love. And we know God is love. But you can't understand God's love unless you understand God's wrath. Amen? You can't have one without the other. Wrath is not for the believer. And now that we believe, God has taken us out of that. But it's an understanding of where I would have gone. That makes me so thankful. Do you understand that this morning? It's the understanding of where I was going. I can't appreciate my salvation if I don't have a revelation of where I was going. Here's the problem. Lots of people that aren't in jail this morning can't appreciate their freedom because they haven't been locked up. Once you get locked up, you appreciate your freedom. So I don't want to have to go to hell to understand. I can get a revelation of hell. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. Why did he talk so much about hell? Because he didn't want us to go there. Amen? He talked about it so much 
that we would have a, an understanding, I don't want to go there. I'm going to do what God's asked. I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to do right so I can spend eternity in heaven with God. Now I want to give you one more, one more thing. So the first one is greatness. The second one is holiness. As Isaiah said, he saw him seated on the throne. Their job, those angels in Isaiah, was to do one thing, give glory to God. How many would, would have a different life if you begin this morning to say, I just want to give glory to God. That's my, that's my reason I'm here. Amen. I got a job. I go to work. I, I go to school. I do all these things. But the real reason I'm alive is to bring glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to end with a thought and a story. If, if, I want you to put yourself in this position, okay? Because you cannot understand the greatness of God until you understand the goodness of God. You cannot understand purity until you understand how powerful He is. And when you see His power, you say, I want to be holy as He is holy. Amen? But if you were here this morning and you were, in a, in, in you were in, 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 uh, fleeing from the law, okay? And you had done something very wrong. And the police were looking for you. And you're sitting here, in, uh, this is generic, but you're sitting here in church this morning, and the cops come in, and they arrest you. And they put you in handcuffs, and they take you to jail, and you're sitting in a jail cell, and you're waiting for your, for your trial, like many people are today. And as you're sitting there, you're thinking, man, I've messed up. I'm, it's over. I'm done. I've made too many mistakes. I, I know I sh- How many know that when people get into jail they really realize they've done something wrong. Right? We've heard jailhouse religion and all kinds of stuff. There's nothing like sitting there. And you say, well, you've never been to jail. Yeah, but I've visited my share lots over the years. And guess what? I don't need to go in there to know I don't want to be there. Okay? Be smart. But you're sitting in that jail cell and you're going, man, I'm done. And they're, they're bringing all, you're hearing all kinds of stuff about the sentence you're going to get, and the time you're going to spend in jail. And, and you, they come back and tell you, guess what? They've caught you with so many things that you're looking at life. You're looking at life in prison. And the, somebody comes in, has a meeting with you. They bring you out, and you sit down with that person. And this person says, guess what? I know that you don't deserve to be free. This is all the things you've done. All these things on this list, the the cops have got so much on you, they put you away for life. He says, but I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to pay your price. I'm going to pay your bail. I'm going to stand in your place. I'm I'm going to get you out of here. And today you're going to go free. And when you get out, I'm going to give you a nice house to live in. I'm going to give you a car to drive. I'm going to put money in your bank account. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to take care of you all the rest of your life. You're never going to have to worry again about how you eat, where you live, and what you drive. I'm getting you out of here. And all I want you to do is never come back to this place again. If you'll do that, I'll keep up my end of the bargain. That's exactly what God did for us. God saved us from eternal hell. God saved us from life and eternity in prison. Amen. God came, Jesus Christ came in and said, I have paid your price. You are free. And all I ask you to do is live worthy of this thing I've done for you. How many know if you look at your life like that, you'll want to be holy.
Musicians, you can come. I want my, I want, I, that is my understanding of what God has done for me, church. I understand this morning that that was, you may say, oh, I've never even lied. I've never cussed. I've never, I, I'll never go to jail. You're in bad shape if they're saying that anyways. Because you have. It's not about how bad of a person you are. You need to get that today. We've, we've talked about that before. In the same book of Isaiah, he says, my righteousness is filthy rags. Not about our righteousness. This is about his righteousness and his position that he has given us. And when I understand how awesome he is and how great he is, there's something inside of me that says, God, I want to live for you. Can you imagine again? I know sometimes we have to have these earthly examples. If you really got out, and you know, if you weren't facing a a sentence today, it's kind of hard for you to imagine. But I visited some people in jail this week. And I visited a guy that's that's looking at a life sentence. And to see him cry, now that it's over, that's hard. And I think, God, why are we so hard-headed? Why do we have to lose everything? Why? But you know what? We're just like that, spiritually. Right? We may not be behind bars today. But if we're not careful in our choices, spiritually we can end up just like that. Separated from God. God did not make hell for us. That that jail is not made for people who obey the law. It's made for people who disobey. It's made for people who say, I don't want to listen to the laws of the land. And the people that, I know there's some cases. Of course, nobody in jail thinks they did anything. Everybody's innocent. But I know there's some cases of of stories that people get, you know, wrongfully put in jail. But the majority of those people that are there got themselves there. And today, there's people all over this world that need to know the forgiveness of God. And you need to understand and walk understanding how good God has been to you. How good God has been to me. So my mental picture is, I'm sitting in my house today and I'm thinking, this house is from God. I'm going to drive home today in a car. this, This is God's car. If I eat something today, God gave me that food. The clothes I have on my back, God gave me. Everything I have is from God, and I want to do everything I can to live a life worthy of everything that God has given me. Amen? How many would like to look at it like that? Not not that God is standing over us, waiting for us to mess up so he can spank us, but that God is watching us and saying, I've been so good to them. I hope they just be good back to me just walk as we hear this word all the time worthy of his high calling I pray every day Lord count me worthy of your return I know my standing in Jesus Christ but I still don't feel worthy and it's a humble unworthiness and that's an okay place because whenever we get prideful that's when we get in trouble whenever we feel like we deserve our salvation we get in trouble. Whenever we feel like we've earned our salvation, we get in trouble. We need a constant reminder 
of how great our God is. But he's so great that I'm going to walk in holiness to be worthy of his high calling. Let's stand to our feet this morning.